0: You're listening to The Simply Flawsome Show, a podcast designed for you to listen, learn and leverage. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. Today's podcast is coming to you from the Rove Hotel in Dubai Marina. I'd like to thank Rove for the support by allowing us to use this amazing venue to host this podcast and future podcasts. The title of today's podcast is How to Reinvent Yourself After Tragedy and Discover Your Amazing You as You Follow Your Passion. Today's guest, she's an incredible, inspiring lady, and hopefully her story will motivate those who've experienced any type of adversity in their lives to keep going and enjoy their life no matter what. She's experienced enough tragedy in her life that would probably result in a lot of women, a lot of people throwing in the towel and giving in. But she didn't, she persevered and has now carved out a wonderful life for herself. So I'd like to welcome today's guest, Teresa on the show.
1: Hello, Zoe. Thank you so very much for having me here this morning. I was so excited about
0: today. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited that you were excited. So, Teresa, let's start this by, uh, can you
1: explain who you are to the listeners? Right. My name is Teresa de Toy. Mm-hmm. I'm South African. I've been in Dubai now for 11 years. And um, I love being here. Um, I'm a single woman, a woman. I arrived here as a single woman. And got married and then I'm back to being a single woman again. Uh, not do my own decision or my own choosing. But, uh, yes. And what I do here in Dubai is, um, through, fr- because of what I went through, I actually discovered what my life's passion was. And so what I do in Dubai is two things. I conduct wedding ceremonies as a wedding celebrant. And I call myself a destination wedding celebrant because apart from doing weddings here in the UAE, I've also done weddings in Bahrain as well as Sri Lanka. So the world is my oyster. So all the bridal couples out there, I can go anywhere. What is a wedding celebrant? A wedding celebrant is normally... um what the priest or the reverend would do. What is happening nowadays is that couples don't want to have a church ceremony as such because it's quite restrictive. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a certain format that they have to stick to and it has to be very religious. Um, by using a celebrant, you actually, they're having, um, or they call it either a, a cel- um, A celebration ceremony or a blessing ceremony. So basically, what I do is I conduct the whole ceremony like what the priest or the reverend would do, but now it's got the freedom of adding whatever you want to it. So I always say to my couples, we can personalize this as much as you want to. So what couples then do is they'll have the legal side done either at the consulates back home, the courts wherever they are, and then they have the blessing ceremony here. And so they always count that ceremony as the wedding day because the bride walks down the aisle in a white dress the groom is there it's the real wedding and should they want something religious I can do that should they want something non-religious I can do that the main thing is we celebrate amazing
0: so tell us about your journey how did you get from where you are to to becoming a wedding celebrant mm. tell us a little bit about your journey
1: it's been a, it's it's look it's been an interesting journey um uh, originally, I was married um, in my final year at university, married my university sweetheart. We had a beautiful life together. He was amazing. He was such a kind, loving man, a great husband, a great father. We were married 30 years. We have three kids from that. They're all adults now. And um, then my husband contracted, I never knew you could get tongue cancer, so he got tongue cancer. And by the time it was discovered, it had basically invaded his whole tongue. And so when we went to see the specialist in Cape Town, South Africa, to determine, okay, what's the next step? After he examined him, he sat down and he had a picture of a tongue and he was coloring in the tongue. And he was saying, well, as far as I color, that's where the how much the cancer has invaded. And my thoughts were, when are you stop coloring? Because this is the whole tongue. And then he stopped and he said, there's only one teeny weeny little slither on the side. And I said, what do we do? And then he said the following words. He said, we need to cut out his tongue and build him a new tongue from his stomach muscles and stomach skin. And when he said those words, I really felt my life out of me through the door, down the corridor, down the stairs and into the streets of Cape Town. Because I thought, how on earth are we going to do this? How are we going to get through this? And, um, it was, it was a very, very traumatic experience. Truly extremely tough. Sounds like
0: something out of a horror movie.
1: Having to cut out your tongue. Yeah, I tell you, um, I couldn't imagine it. So we had to, uh, he had to see a whole ton of other specialists and they all concurred this would be the best route forward because they said, look, if we don't remove the tongue now, once it's gone to the back of the throat, then they can't do anything. So then we had to book a theater date in December. And, of course, you, you're groping and, and looking for any sort of miracle, you know, anything just so that you don't have to face this. And what then happened was that we booked the date, so now we go back home. So now we're looking for miracles. We're looking for all sorts of things. What should he eat? What should he drink? Well, how should he boost his immune system? And, um, and it got to a point where he came from a test that he had done And he came back home and we were sitting drinking coffee outside on the deck outside our house in Neisner. And he said to me the following. He said, I've decided I want to go ahead, have my tongue removed. Let's get this over, cut this out and let me move on with my life. And when he said those words, my first thoughts were, please, no, not that one, not that one. But I said to him, my darling, if that's your decision, I will support you. I will be with you all the way. So that's what happened. Um, we went on to Cape Town, had the surgery. I remember when the, the doctor came to see him, the anesthetist, I was sobbing my guts out and she turned to me and she said, shall I give you some medication? And I said, no, crying. I said, no, because I don't want to have my feelings numbed. I needed to work through this traumatic event. Um, Philip had the operation. He recovered remarkably well. For someone who's gone through such a severe thing, um we had a speech therapist friend who visited him and she said she's never seen a patient recover so speedily from such this particular type of operation. Let's
0: forgive my ignorance. When you have your tongue taken out, mm. I mean, obviously that's going to affect your speech. Can you yeah. speak
1: at all? Well, this was the one thing that the specialist said. He said, your speech will be affected. And I said, how? And he said, I, I can't tell you. And then Philip's speech was affected and he sounded like a guy, you know, who had a hot potato in his mouth. Like that. You spoke like that. And the interesting thing was, Zoe, is that Philip was an introvert by nature. And that was one of my concerns was, how was he going to cope as an introvert? Because he was an architect working for himself. There was no other people working with him. So he was the breadwinner. And how would he cope with this? And he turned out a complete extrovert after the operation. So when he'd sit with clients, he'd say to them, if you don't understand what I'm saying, tell me, I'll change the words. And he was happy as Larry. So I went with him through the whole process of going to have radiation. I was with him when they had to do the measurements for the the, the mask that he would have to wear. I'd went I went with him for every radiation treatment he had at the time. I was with him through the whole thing because I felt I needed to be there and experience what he's going through. So he's not alone in all of this. And um He recovered remarkably after the radiation. He was back at home working. He was doing some woodworking, building cupboards and stuff because he was a handyman as well. And he was doing some gym and he was really looking good. So, all his food, of course, had to change to liquids. So, everything had to be liquidized. And so, for the year, everything was great. So, you had the operation. December, the year was great. And then came... December, January the following year, he started saying to me that his mouth is very sore. And then when we went back to Cape Town to have biopsy done, the verdict was that the cancer has actually now started in the soft tissue of his mouth. And the only thing that they could now suggest, he's already had radiation, they couldn't do that, so it had to be chemo. And um, so he started the chemo. And it really badly affected him. You know, for three days after getting the chemo, he would be out like a light. I mean, he would sleep and he'd feel awful. And then from the fourth day, he's back to normal again. And this was a weekly doses, dosage he had to take. And then what happened is that um, it actually started eating a hole through his flesh. And an opening started on here, on his on you know, on the side of his underneath his jawline. And over the next couple of months, that completely opened up. I could actually put my fist into that cavity. And he got as skinny as a rake. And it's, you know, you're really, you're really holding on to any miracle. And you've got to fight against fear because when I'd see the whole, my, the fear just wanted to envelop me. So I, my belief and my faith in God that he would bring us through this That's what really kept me going. I did have my days where I thought, God, how are we going to do this? And about two weeks before Philip died, I really felt that um, I needed to say to God, if he wants to take him home, he can. And it was a very tough decision for me. I said to Philip that evening, listen, I have some time, I need some time with God alone. So he was with the kids, and um, I I went into our bedroom, closed the door, took a picture of him, and I sobbed my guts. I really cried. And I kissed the picture of him and I, I I knew I was saying goodbye to Philip. And then I cried and I said to God, I said, you know what, God, I we were hoping to grow old together, see our kids get all married, have the grandkids together, you know, grow old together beautifully. I said, but if you want to take him home. Then I release him. I know you will take care of me and the children. And an interesting thing happened the moment I said those words. I felt like an an iron rod pushed down my spine, pulling me up. Secure. And an incredible peace. The Bible talks about peace that passes all understanding. That came over me. And then I just knew whatever is going to happen, it will be okay. And in my mind's eye, there was a picture. I was on a very high cliff stepping out into nothingness, but I knew I wouldn't fall. I wouldn't, you know, fall on the rocks down below. I would get caught. And so that evening when we went to bed, I said to Philip, this is what happened tonight. And I want to tell you, I release you. If you want to go home, if the battle is too big, you can go home. You don't have to hold on any longer. God will take care of me and the kids, so we will be fine. And he said to me, um, when God says, come home, I will. But up until that point, I choose life. Because we always said through this whole trauma that we choose life. Every day we would choose life. And so two weeks later, he was struggling that morning at work. He tried to do an email. His fingers could hardly move over the keys. He went to sleep that afternoon like he would do every afternoon. His office was at home. And it was that evening that I realized that he's gone into a coma. And that's when I knew he was going home. So I called the kids and I said, listen, dad's going home tonight. But the one thing I did ask of God when he, when I had that evening with him, I said, Lord, All I ask is that I don't wake up next to him and find him gone. I would like us to be able to say goodbye, my kids, myself, and our close friends. And that's what happened. So we sat around the bed. Philip was in a coma. We sat around him on the bed, talked about him, said, you know, all the funny jokes that he would do in his funny little ballet steps that he would do. Uh, we laughed, we cried, we told him how much we loved him. My kids all told him how much they honored him and loved him and respected him. My daughter said, Dad, I want to marry a man like you one day. And she did. And, um, and so we were able to say goodbye to him. And 12 o'clock that night, he stopped breathing. And I said to the kids, this very moment, he stepped into the presence of God. And so there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more anguish, none of that stuff. And um, and it, it it was it was heartbreaking, I can tell you. It was devastating. And I'm sitting in my bed the next morning thinking, how do I move forward? How am I going to get to the end of this day? How am I going to get to the end of this week, next week, next month, next year? And I felt God say to me, just focus on today. Just today. Every day is just today. Just take eight yeah. each day as it comes. Yeah. yeah. And so it was a year that I felt that, I was mourning, and I decided that I didn't want to keep myself busy not to focus on my pain. I needed to work through the pain, through all the different things. The loss was devastating uh, for my kids, and I never tried to be brave in front of my kids. They could see when I sobbed and cried, and they were also heartbroken and sad, and it was devastating for them. And it was a year, and I remember I stood in my lounge, and it was in August, it was a winter's morning, and in front of our house, we had this beautiful old oak tree. And in the, just before spring, they start budding, and then these beautiful lime green leaves come out. And I saw the buds, and I was having a cup of coffee in my hand, and I was talking to God, and I was saying, There's new life in the tree." Is my season of mourning over? And is this now the new season for me? And basically, it turned out to be like that. So I could truly say that after a year, I felt that my heart was completely healed. I could look at pictures of Philip. We could talk about him. There was no sadness, no sorrow, only happy memories, you know. And I can really honestly say, Zoe, that God brings a complete restoration because he doesn't do a half job. And so truly... He gave me a completely re- refurbished heart, totally restored and renewed. And so I stayed on for another four years and then I decided, no, I need to move. I want to, you know, the world's my oyster. So I moved to Dubai at the time, but also. Why, why Dubai? Um, I, I was living in a small town in South Africa and I, I've always thought the world is an amazing place. And then I thought, okay, I need to move, but where to? And then I thought, okay, crime-free and debt-free. Those are important things. Crime-free and tax-free. Those are two important things for South Africans. And my daughter at the time was working as crew for Emirates. And I thought, well, I'll come and have a look. I was here before, the year after my husband died, my youngest son and I came. Never thought of ever moving here that would happen. So I came. And I thought, why not? So I moved, got rid of everything in South Africa, moved myself, and within six weeks I had a job. But I knew I wanted to get married again, and I knew I would have somebody again. And that was also part of my healing process, because I said to the Lord, He needs to heal my heart completely. Because if I'm going to meet somebody again, if you carry luggage with you and baggage with you emotionally, you're slipping that into a new relationship. That's not a good thing. And, jeez, it took another four years before I met this amazing man. I had friends, I had dinner with friends one night, and I said to them, listen, don't you know any single guys my age? You know, and they said, yeah, we've got this one friend. And I said, guys, what's wrong with you? You know, organize something. So they did. So they organized a, a dinner for us the following evening at the hotel I was working at that time. And um, so when I walked into the restaurant and I saw him, and I didn't think – Ooh, la, la. I just thought, oh, he's got silver-gray hair, blue eyes. Mm. Um, We had a great evening. Lots of laughs. He came from the same city as I that I was born and raised in. He turned out to be an architect. We had a lot of things in common. Where I came from, I had worked for his best friends, you know? So we had a lot in common, and we swapped business cards. And at the end of the evening, when we all said goodbye, you know, I said to him, let's have coffee sometime. And his answer was... I'd like that. And I thought, oh, good answer. Because he could have said, yeah, 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 you know, which means I'll never call you. And he did. He called me. And um, we wanted to go and see a musical. Couldn't get the tickets. I had spoken about the Marigold movie. Oh,
0: so you forgot about coffee. You went for the musical. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So... Um, we, he then said, listen, there's, we can't get tickets for the musical. There's no good movies. But you spoke about a movie, The Amazing Marigold, you know, that movie. And he said, I would love to see that. And I've got the DVD. So he came. We never watched the movie. And we just spoke. And it was so easy. It was just very easy. And he told me about his life. He'd had two bad marriages. He's got three kids. But he lost a son when the son was 27. And I told him about my life. And at one point I said to him, so, you know, what are you looking for? And he said to me, I have so much love to give. I'd love to have somebody in my life again. And then he moved to the edge of my couch and he went like this. One thing is for sure, both hands in the air. One thing is for sure, I never, ever, ever want to get married again. And I looked at him and I said, look, I can understand where you're coming from, because of your experience. And he said, what about you? He, and I said to him, look, I've had a fantastic marriage. I love marriage. I want marriage. I'm not into one-night stands. I want to meet a guy, fall in love and marry and have a, build a great life.
0: What is it about marriage that you love? Because y- you were saying earlier that you've, you've reinvented yourself as a mm. wedding celebrant and, and you
1: love the whole process. Mm. What is it about marriage? You know what it is. is is um, It's the it's the commitment, but it's the commitment that is not because of a piece of paper. That's part of of marriage, but it's it's being in a relationship where you are loved unconditionally, where you are loved for who you are. Um, it gives an incredible sense of security. That feeling of being loved and having your heart flooded with so much happiness—it's
0: so not so much the marriage within itself, it's or is that part of it? It's part
1: of it. It's—it's like, you know, for me, marriage is—it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I always. If my husband, even when, when I was married to Nick now, whenever he went out and he would come back, both of them, wh- whatever I was doing, the moment they would come back from wherever they went, I would drop everything, go to them at the door, hug and kiss them and tell them I love them, you know? It's, that's part of the relationship so that everything you do is an expression of the love you have for that person. And it's about wanting to spend time with that person. Um, I always felt when women would say, oh, you know, I can't stand it when my husband does that. Or now he's on leave and I wish he'd just sort of, you know, go and spend some hours somewhere. And I think, what's wrong with you? You should be, you should want to be able to spend time with each other. It's, and I'm not saying 24-7 always, but your desire must be that you want to spend time with each other. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that you can't go out with your girlfriends or go on a, uh, you know, chick flick movie or something like that. But the whole thing is that because you love each other, because it's joyful to be together, to spend time with each other and to be basking in the love that you have for each other, you want to be with each other. You want to do things together. Okay. So
0: you embarked on a relationship with this gentleman. Yeah,
1: and... um And when I told him, look, I'm looking for marriage, and he said to me, good for you, but that's not what I want. That's not for me, you know, but good for you. Well, six weeks later, he um, called me the one morning after he'd visited me the night before, and he said to me, listen, I was at the traffic light last night waiting, and he said, suddenly I felt as if I was hit by a tsunami wave, and I realized I've fallen in love with you. He said, it's come completely out of the blue. It's totally sideswiped me. I never thought I could ever feel like this again. And I realized, I love you. I want to marry you and I want to take care of you. And I love you, you know. <laughs> and I smiled and I thought, yeah, guys, I never ever want to get married again. You know, that's not for me. And, um, but it took a while for me to tell him I love you. Because for me, it's different when you say to your friends, I love you. But when you say to a person, a man or a woman... In a relationship, I love you. The moment you utter those words, you are actually, you giving your heart away. Mm-hmm. And, th- you know, that, that's a hefty moment. And I've always felt you should never just give your heart away willy-nilly to a person. And I'm talking relationship-wise, you know, in a romantic relationship. And so he'd say to me, When are you going to tell me, you know, you love me? When are you going to tell me you love me? And I'd say to my darling, it will happen, you know. And then it was oh, about two, three months later, when I told him, My darling, I really love you. You know, and I knew when I said those words, this was it. You know, the it was in my heart, but I needed to utter that. And that was it, you know. And um I loved this guy with all of my heart. And it was a beautiful marriage. And it was also a different season of both our lives because our kids were adults. We didn't have kids in the house. So we could just enjoy each other. It was fabulous. And he used to say to me every single day, My darling, I never knew marriage could be like this. And we were hoping for 20 years. And then we had two years and four months. And then he died of a heart attack while quad biking in the desert with a friend. Oh. And so, as my son said to me when we when Nick passed away and everyone was together for the um, the memorial service, I said to him, "Cause I'm so sorry that you've got to go through this again." Because he was the youngest of all of them. He looked at me with a smile and he said, "Hey, mom, look, we're veterans now, <laughs> you know." <laughs> and. Um, I said to the kids, the one evening, all of the kids, and I said, you know, now at the moment, dad and, you know, the two dads are now in heaven, you know, so they chatting to each other. So my daughter says, yeah, so the one's saying to the other, hey, your wife's a hot chick, isn't she? And um, so you have to have, you've got to bring humor. You've got to see the lighter side of something as well. But so it was devastating. When I got that phone call to tell me that Nick had passed away in the desert, my heart truly shattered into a million pieces. And I thought, no, this is not possible. This cannot be happening to me. And it was devastating, I can tell you. Um I thought, how do I get through this one? You know, um, there were a lot of implications, too, at the time. But I knew, you know, it was like, how do I get through this?
0: How different was it? in terms of um, grieving you know like you'd you'd already lost one husband Mm. who you'd been with your whole life Mm. and then you met someone else you'd had two wonderful years together was it was the grieving process different was losing them different was one I'm just maybe it's just a morbid fascination but I'm just generally interested is is one more significant than
1: the other or were the both both were devastating both were completely devastating Um, B- because of because of the the intense relationship we had you know it was both marriages were beautiful and happy so i lost my soulmate philip was my soulmate I believe you have more than one soulmate because I really believe you should celebrate life. You know, I could have said, I never ever want to get married again and go, my soulmate, he's gone, that's it. No, uh, because we move through different seasons of our lives. And so we've got to embrace the different seasons. So both were devastating. The one was after a long illness. So you've got to always say to yourself, what I see is not necessarily what's going to happen. Um, so in a way... You know, you almost think, you almost have this thought in the back of your head, well, maybe it is just leading one way, but you've got to fight against that because you want to keep the faith all the time. You've got to keep hope alive. With Nick, the suddenness. I mean, I said goodbye to him that morning as I, as he drove off and I saw his profile and I thought, oh, it's my sexy husband going there. Never realizing or thinking any thoughts that I would never see him alive again. So it was devastating in both ways, uh, devastating in the worst sense of the word that you can imagine because I lost my darling, I lost my soulmate, I lost the man who looked at me with eyes filled with admiration, a guy who used to say, I love saying my wife, I'll ask my wife, you know?
0: It's interesting um, what you were saying because I can relate to this with my grandparents. Yeah, yeah um I lost my grandparents recently and they meant more to me than anything in the whole mm. wide world I'll probably I still get choked up when I talk about it now but I always knew that the last words that I would ever say mm. to any of them would be I love you I always knew you know that because that was always the last word that yeah. I would say yeah You were saying, like, with your husband, like, you would always, you know, whenever they were going away or out the
1: door, you'd always give them a kiss. Yes, and and say, I love you. And, you know, so that the day that Nick died in the desert, I knew he died a happy man. He died knowing that he was very much loved by me. He loved being married to me, he loved being married. Um, he loved me. He loved being in the desert, and he was with a friend that he really always wanted to spend time with. You know, quad biking in the desert. So, from that point of view, he died a really happy man. Died, I
0: think one thing we haven't mentioned: he died of a heart attack. He died of a heart so attack. So, it's probably likely that that would have happened, whether or not it was in the desert. Exactly. It would have happened at some point because yeah. he had um, his health was he, compromised. He had something with yeah. wrong with his heart that that you probably
1: weren't aware of. No, I was aware that his health was compromised. You know, he did take tablets and stuff. But when this happened, I then said to the children, I said, I am so grateful that this happened where it did and not while he was driving on the main highway with the trailer because so many people could have been killed. It could have been terrible. So I, I chose to look at the positive side of where he died and how it happened. Um, The other thing also that I really, really knew is that because I love God, I have a relationship with him. To me, he's very real. So I knew this wasn't God's way of, you know, often people will say, well, God comes and he takes somebody away because he wants to teach us something. That's rubbish. It's not his character. His character is love. But things happen. And that he will bring me through. So what I would do is I would do, put scriptures on my fridge. So when I go to that kitchen in the morning to go and make coffee, my first thing I would see would be a word of scripture that would in, that strengthen me and encourage me and lift me up. Something that I could hold on to. And so when we did the memorial ceremony, it was a celebration of his life. And I spoke for about 45 minutes, you know, talking to people. And um it was really remarkable. And then... Look, it was devastating. I sobbed my guts out. Air buckets and buckets and buckets of tears. And then you've got to have you you go through those first experiences. Um, I remember we went to see a lawyer in that time with my stepkids, and we were on the 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 metro or oh, on the tram. And I'm looking out and I see the traffic going, and I'm thinking, everybody's carrying on with their lives. But nobody knows. My life's been devastated because I lost my loved one. Mm -hmm. And it was these strange things. And then going into the supermarket, going to fill up the car, those first things of everything, then the first birthday, the first Christmas, the first everything, having to work through all of that. And once again, I, I took the time out to really mourn and grieve because I do think that's so important because then you go through the process and your heart can be restored completely And your soul, so that you can move forward and move into life and celebrating life again. And the funny thing was, Nick would always say to me very seriously, my darling, God forbid, God forbid I die before you. But if that happens, mourn me as long or as short as it takes to get your heart healed. Once your heart is healed, go out, meet a guy, fall in love, and get married again. He said, because you're too vibrant a woman not to be loved by a man and not to love a man. And so, yeah, here I am, four years on already. It's been four years that he's gone. And it was about a year after he passed away. That I was sitting and I was thinking, I know good comes out of tragedy. Because God is always able to bring good out of bad things. And I felt at times like a pregnant woman. I felt that there's stuff on the inside that I needed to share. But I didn't know how. I didn't know what platform. And I've always also loved public speaking. So out of the blue, about it was a year after. Out of the blue, a friend of my daughter who was a, a wedding photographer at the time. She phoned me out of the blue and she said, listen, I have a business proposal. And I said, what? And she said, listen, there was a lovely woman here in Dubai who was a wedding celebrant. She suddenly passed away a few weeks ago. We all loved her and there's been such a hole left in the wedding community. And I know you love marriage. You love public speaking. I think you'd make a fantastic wedding celebrant. So please consider becoming a wedding celebrant. So my first words to her, well, what does a wedding celebrant do? So she told me, and then I Googled, and that's when I discovered the wonderful world of wedding celebrant. And as I was reading, I thought, this is it. This is it. This, it it just resonated with me. And I knew this gives me the platform. I love marriage. I can speak into people's lives. I have much to share, you know? I want couples to build beautiful, strong marriages. I want them 20, 30, 40 years down the line when they look at each other, they must still think, oh man, that's my gorgeous, sexy wife or oh, my handsome husband. You know? So, and, um, so I Googled a lot. And a very good friend of mine, she said, we will do, our company will do your website as my gift to you. I wrote my own content and I, I wanted it to reflect me and my passion. And so every word that's on my website was written by me from my heart because I want bridal couples, when they go onto the website, I want them to feel my passion for love. I love love. Listen, love makes the world go round. We were created to love. And so that's how it came. And that's when I discovered my passion. I discovered my purpose. And that's what I love doing. And I really believe you should follow your hearts, discover what makes you tick, because the world needs what you have. We're all different. And everyone is so amazingly uniquely created. And so with my public speaking, I want women to realize that no matter what's happened, Life is wonderful, despite the crap that happens to all of us in whichever form. But I do believe with all of my heart is that God wants us to move from the state of loss or the state of whatever we are in, state of negativity. He wants us to move from that, become whole, become restored, and then flow back into loving life and celebrating life and so i love speaking to women i love give me i always say give me a microphone give me a stage um to share because i really believe life should be celebrated and and i don't say that you know la 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 i've been through a lot of things
0: so it's interesting how life works and the journey that we go on yeah because the tragedy that you have been through losing the man that you love, mm. on two occasions, yeah. it's gotten to where you are now, yeah. doing a job that you absolutely love and that you're passionate about. Absolutely. But you probably wouldn't be doing this right yeah. now if it oh. wasn't for your experiences. Teresa, what advice would you give anyone who is going through some tragedy or loss within oh. their life?
1: Uh, the first thing I would say is don't try and not work through the the grief because what a lot of people tend to do is that they will keep themselves so busy and occupied so that they don't have to face the pain that they're going through. And they might think that that is the best thing. Even when Nick died, somebody said, don't you think you should keep yourself busy? And I said, no, I need to work through my emotions so that I can come out on the other side. Because if you don't face the grief and all the emotions and the turmoil that's tied up in the experience that you're going through... If you push that aside, somewhere along the line, it could be a few months down the line, a year or two down the line, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. You're going to come out with all sorts of uh, depression, is probably one of them, uh, a state of negativity, um, all sorts of illnesses and ailments, you know, which actually have their root in your in your um, in your psyche, because we were not supposed, we were not created to store up these emotions, so. Most importantly, you've got to face the grief. And if you can't do it on your own, find somebody that you can share it with. I'm always available. Um, I did counseling recently for a woman who lost her brother. And to be able to just share some thoughts. And um, But it's a process. And you can't short-circuit the process. It is a process. You can't say it's going to be long or short. But I do know. Face your emotions. Face the pain, the agony. If it's losing someone through death, it's devastating. I so know that. But there's something that I learned when Nick died, and that was after working through my own grief and pain, I suddenly realized, I started thinking, what did Nick gain when he stepped off his bike and stepped into heaven? Immediately, he was in perfect health, he stepped into the presence of God. He never had to face any of the dramas that life throws us. He was living the life he was born to live. And the more I focused on what he had gained, that took a lot of the sting of the loss for me. And this is something which I really feel is an important thing that I want to say to people who've lost a loved one, whether it's your grandparents, um, your, your, your spouse. I can't... I can't say I understand the, the loss that people feel who've lost a child. I cannot imagine that. Uh, I think that's really so deep. But the one thing that I've learned is that the reason the grieving in the beginning is so tough for us and why when somebody is maybe very ill, we're praying constantly for a miracle, a miracle, a miracle. We don't want to let go. Because subconsciously, we don't want to face... That moment where that person then passes away and we have to now suddenly deal with the grief. So we want to postpone the grief. But if we let go, if we're able to say to that person, I release you, so that that person can then go and then focus on what did that person gain? Let's focus on the positive, what that person gained when they passed away, being in God's presence, being in, um, being in an atmosphere of love that is completely overwhelming, love that we don't comprehend, being in a complete state of health, whatever the case is. If we focus on that, that removes the sting that the grief leaves within our hearts. So that's something I would say most certainly you need to focus on.
0: Your faith has
1: definitely got you through
0: yeah. your, your pain and your tough times. Yes.
1: A lot of people don't have your faith. Mm. I think for, for if, from my own personal point of um, experience, having faith... And in, 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 in God, and I know his character, I know he loves me, and I know he only wants the best for me. Um, my faith in him, knowing that despite what I went through, knowing that he would bring me through, he would restore me, he would take care of me, he would provide for me, He would he would take care of me on every level— that was what I held on to when I felt I couldn't cope. And I often think if you, have no, if you have no belief system, I think it becomes harder because what do you hold on to? And it's not a crutch. It is I have an absolute belief in my Father in heaven who loves me.
0: I truly believe that our pain is packaged in a certain way for a reason. Why do you think your pain was packaged in this way?
1: Um, look, I, I don't think it was ever part of God's plan for my life because it's not his nature. However, because he says he is able to bring good out of any bad circumstance, I knew that while I was grieving, Nick, I knew some good must come out of this. So, And the good that's come out of this is that my story, if my story can help somebody else work through their loss and their grief and get them to a place of wholeness and embracing life again, it was all worth it. Because life is not just about me, myself, and I. It's We're all connected to one another in some way. And so when, when I share my story and it can mean something to somebody else, then that was worth it. If I can help somebody else move through their grief and loss – then it was worth it, and if I can help somebody who's been married, say twice or thrice, and they've had bad marriages, and help them to discover the joy of a beautiful, fulfilling, happy marriage, it was all worth it. That's
0: fantastic, Teresa. Thank you so much for your story oh, so today. It was so much um, fun. It's we've been we've actually been chatting for forty minutes.
1: Oh really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: doesn't time fly? Um, so. I'm I'm going to wrap it up now because um, I try to keep them to about half an hour, mm. 40 minutes, you know, to. Yes. I'm sure no one's turned off during this podcast, though, because you've been such a wonderful guest. And, um, yeah, I, I can I can see what your husband was, your late husband, Nick, um, you know, when he was saying that you have so much energy and yeah. that you're vibrant. And I can relate. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can see that and I you know I hope that your journey on the next few years continues to be
1: thank you Zoe an amazing one <laughs> thank you well listen who knows I am waiting for husband number 3 you know <laughs> <laughs> I want to be married again and it's lovely to be in a great marriage relationship so yeah I it's been 4 years now it's more than enough time
0: so um i'm sure you will meet someone with your amazing energy and i have faith yeah fantastic thank you so much for coming on today sharing your story
1: thank you so much for asking me it was such a beautiful uh, moment in time thank you for asking me and thank you for giving me the platform to just share my story and i hope that it's been able to touch the hearts of people and women out there and um blessings upon all your podcasts thank you so much and thank you again
0: to rove hotel in dubai marina for uh, allowing us to use this fantastic space to record and film these podcasts so until next time thank you